take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. It's got to go around here, Dale. Thank you. Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> I had every intention of sharing a different message with you this morning. I had every intention until about 9.30 last night to share a different message with you. And God just didn't let that work out so easily. I don't know how to explain that, but... I just knew that this is what God wanted me to share this morning, and that's a, it's kind of a thought that's been running through my head. A couple of weeks ago, I shared this basic thought on Wednesday night uh, concerning discipleship, and uh, man, it's just been a burden on my heart because, well, just to be honest with you, there's a lot of things that just don't add up when we look at the church today, and I'm not just talking about the church as a body, I'm talking about individuals that make up that church. And the thing that doesn't add up many, many, many times is the difference between what we say and what we do. It's always been a struggle within the body of Christ. It's always been a struggle many times within individual believers. The, the scary part, though, is that for, for much of that discrepancy, uh, we've not done anything about it. And we've allowed some things to be said about many people who claim to be Christians that just really aren't true. And not only is the church suffering because of that, but there's a lot of people within the body, or so-called within the body, that are suffering because they've not been taught truth either. And so this morning I want to talk about called to be disciples. And we're just going to begin with Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, I am thankful this morning just for the privilege of being here. I'm thankful for this church family that you've given us, that we can gather together and worship in your name and have such great fellowship. I'm thankful for the freedom within College Heights to preach the truth. Many times, Lord, when it doesn't sit very well, when it's very convicting, many times, Lord, when it makes us uncomfortable and causes us, Lord, to search our souls that you might transform us. But I'm thankful for the freedom to be able to do that, Lord. And I just ask that as we look at some very basic understandings of what it means to be followers of Christ. I pray that you'd speak to each heart here this morning. Lord, I know this is what you have for us today. I'm not any doubt in my mind. So, Father, accomplish your will and be glorified in it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, called to be disciples. It's an interesting thought, honestly, as we talk about the church, as we talk about Christianity, if you will, if we talk about what we talk about and think about today within the body of Christ, you know, called to be disciples is not something that comes up easily on our radar screen, I guess, if you will. We talk about a lot of things. We talk about missions. We talk about worship. We talk about evangelism. We talk about all kinds of things getting out there and doing it. But there's a call to discipleship that that I believe ought to be emphasized a whole lot more. And it's not just the discipleship that we talk about. I mean, here we, when we talk about discipleship, most of the time within at least the Baptist church setting that I'm familiar with, most of the time it's just some classroom thing. 
if we're going to do discipleship, we're going to get together and we're going to go through some study and that's going to be great, right? We're going to go through some study and we're going to feel good about it and yoo-hoo, way to go, it's awesome. And it's really, honestly, it means very little. Matter of fact, I think we've kind of run discipleship into the ground to the place where nobody wants to come anymore because there's nothing to it, right? But that's not biblical discipleship. Biblical discipleship is everything about our life in Jesus Christ. It is who we are or who we aren't in Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations? I mean, isn't it interesting? And and if you were with us on Wednesday night, bear with me on some of this stuff. It'll be a little bit of review with you. But isn't it interesting that the Bible does not call us to be Christians? And it doesn't call us to make Christians. Did you know that? Matter of fact, did you know that the word Christian or Christians, plural form of it, is only used three times in the New Testament? Three times. That's it. Matter of fact, the first time it's used in or in Acts is in Acts chapter eleven, verse twenty six, it says, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, and by the way, that was a derogatory remark about them. In Antioch, they were looking and acting and living like little Christs. And so therefore, those that would mock them and make fun of them called them Christians. Wasn't a great thing. And in the New Testament times, in the early times, believers didn't call themselves Christians. It wasn't something very common. It wasn't something that had deep meaning. It wasn't something that was ordinary for them. It was something that's developed long after that, that we would call ourselves Christians. And here's the problem today. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't mean very much sometimes. Amen? I mean, I can't tell you how many people call themselves Christians that are not Christians. But did you know that the word disciple or the plural form form disciples is used 270 plus times in the New Testament? Now that's quite a contrast, isn't it? Between calling yourself a Christian and calling yourself a disciple. Because literally the biblical term for those who would follow Christ are disciples. And yet that term has much more meaning to it than the word Christian. Because honestly, today, at least in America, which we're more familiar with, the term Christian has a great variety of what it might mean to you, right? You can call yourself a Christian if you were raised by a family who claimed to go to a church at some point in time in their life, right? I've witnessed to a lot of people, and I'm not picking on any one church or another, but let's just say Methodist. They'll say, well, I'm a Methodist, so I'm a Christian. I'm a Lutheran, so I'm a Christian. I stood on the street one day with a guy over by the Quad Cities, over between Illinois and Iowa, just going door-to-door, sharing Christ with people, and I stood on the street talking to this guy in his yard, and uh, I talked to him about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, whether he'd been born again. No, sir. No, I don't, I don't know anything about the Lord. I've never been born again. You know, I said, well, would you like to, to know how you can have eternal life? Yeah, I'd like to know how. And I went through the gospel with this guy, and he was interested the whole time until I said, well, would you like to do that? Would you like to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He said, no, I'm Lutheran. Now, I'm not picking on, I'm, I, this is the truth. I'm not making this up. This isn't some story I read on the internet. I, I had this encounter with this guy. And I said, well, I'm okay with you being Lutheran. Great. Hallelujah. 
But you just told me you didn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You just told me you didn't know how to have eternal life. You just told me that you'd like to know how to have eternal life. And now you're telling me that you don't want that because you're afraid you're going to lose whatever association you have with the Lutheran Church. I'm not even talking about association with the Lutheran Church. I'm talking about being saved. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't have anything to do with it. Because apparently... His understanding of being a Christian was completely tied into his denomination. Not even the church of Jesus Christ, but his denomination. I found something similar the first time we went to Bulgaria. We were on the Black Sea doing evangelism on the beach, suffering for the Lord. And uh, (laughs) to some degree, kind of, anyway, won't go into all those stories. But I met this young Bulgarian lady that actually could speak some English, which was different. And uh, so she says to me, well, where are you from? I said, I'm from the States. And she said, why are you here? Why are you in our country? So I've come to share Jesus Christ with anybody that I can, how to be, have eternal life and to know the Lord. And, and I said, you know, do you know the Lord? And she said, well, I'm, I'm Orthodox. I said, well, great. I said, do you know about Jesus Christ? Do you know how to have eternal life? Uh, no, I don't, can't really say I do. But I'm orthodox. I said, well, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, you can, you can stop telling me now. I got it. You're orthodox. And she said, no, you don't understand. To be Bulgarian is to be orthodox. To be Bulgarian, to be born in Bulgaria, is to be orthodox. That's who we are. That's what we are. That's how we are. And she said, honestly, we think Baptists are a cult. I'm like, well... <laughs> Compared to your understanding, we probably are. Thank God that lady got saved by the end of the week. It was pretty awesome to see God change her life. But here's the deal. That's still happening in the States. And that's not just happening in obscure places like the Quad Cities area in Iowa and Illinois. It's happening in mainstream places like Casper, Wyoming. It's not just happening in obscure churches around Casper, Wyoming. Honestly, it's happening here. I've always believed, and I have no doubt about it, Scripture is too clear on this, that every time we gather together, there are people that say that they're Christians who are in attendance with us and possibly members of our church that have no idea that to be born again means a life that's transformed, completely surrendered and subdued to Jesus Christ as a disciple, not as a member of a club. There's no doubt about it that today as I preach this gospel, I promise there are some sitting here, maybe you, who have felt like being a Christian was walking an aisle and possibly praying a prayer and putting your name down on the church roll and then living any old way you want to, trying to be a good person. you have any idea what you're saying? You're saying that for you to have eternal life means no transformation in your life whatsoever. It means no allegiance to a Lord of lords and King of kings. It means no servitude to the God who saved you. It means no allegiance in any way to Jesus Christ other than you've signed up as a church member and are trying on your own to be a good person because of it. 
Well, a disciple, and here's the definition, the more technical definition of a disciple, is a person who is an adherent, who accepts the instruction given to him and makes it his rule or conduct. In other words, disciples are those who make Jesus Christ the focus of their lives and submit themselves to his lordship and to his leadership and obey his commandments. That's what a disciple is. Someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as Lord, as leader, and they obey Him because they trust Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For those who come to Him must believe that He is God and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. I mean, honestly, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you trust Him. Are there some struggles in that sometimes? Most certainly, but in general, you trust Him. Because you believe in Him. And as you trust Him, you surrender your life to Him. As He speaks to you, give up the garbage. You give up the things of the world. You give up the sin. You give up the rebellion. And you conform your life to Jesus Christ. And you think like He thinks. And you do like He does. And you go where He goes. Your life is then no longer lived for yourself in any way. That's a disciple. And that's a huge change from what we have described as Christianity in the world today. In the world today, Christianity means everything and anything. Oh, pastor, don't tell me it's got to be more than this normal failing life or whatever I have. I can't tell you how many people say to me, well, pastor, I know we're supposed to be different, but I'm weak and I fail and I struggle. I understand weakness and I understand failures. I do not understand a life that doesn't care about something better, though. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if we are born again and Christ is our Savior, that He will continue the work that He began in us. We're a process. He's changing us and our allegiance is His. And whatever He would ask of us or demand of us, we surrender. That's a disciple. Listen to Matthew chapter 7. Matter of fact, turn over there. I want you to to read these scriptures with me. Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see it in your Bible. So you hear what God's saying to you clearly. It's too important for you not to see it. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those are powerful words, are they not? Powerful words about the transformation that takes place when Jesus Christ becomes our Lord and our Savior. The transformation that takes place as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and we follow him. Isn't it interesting in verse 21 that says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father 
right? Who is in heaven will enter. He's describing a disciple. He's not describing just a cheap Christianity. He's not just describing this this cheap, empty relationship with God. He's talking about a life that's been born again. And that the Spirit of God lives in. And because of the leadership of the Spirit of God, we follow and we obey the Father who is in heaven, who is our Lord. Our Lord. The one that rules over us. The one that is our King. That has the right to demand of us what He wishes. We've made Christianity today something whereby we are supposed to control God. Whereby we tell God what to do. And well, we tell tell God how our lives are supposed to be. And we tell God what we will give and what we won't give. And we tell God where we will go and where we won't go. And we tell God. That is not biblical Christianity. Not in any way. It never has been. It never will be. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. And all of your life. Or he's not Lord at all. And it's crazy to me to think that so many have deceived themselves into believing that they are a Christian when there is no allegiance or surrender to Jesus. None. Because the truth is, is it's more than possible that one day you will stand in the presence of the Lord And you'll hear him say, depart from me, doer of iniquity. I never knew you. It's more than possible. It's not impossible. It's probable. If there's been no change in your heart, if there's been no salvation in your life, if your Christianity is meaningless beyond occasional attendance at church and occasional good works, if that's all you have, that's all there is, you literally have no hope whether you call yourself Christian or not. So, how do we become a disciple of Christ? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? How do we become a disciple of Christ? I mean, it's, it's crazy, I guess, to think about the difference, because here's the difference. To become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must know Him, and you must be known by Him. It is a transformation of your life that takes place when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now this is, this is important because we're going to read some more from John chapter 10 in a minute. But he says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Not only that, but that relationship is so intimate that it's like me knowing the Father and the Father knowing me. It is so intimate that I lay down my life for my sheep. Those that are followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, are known by Jesus intimately and they know him intimately and yet within the church today many times there are people that will say to me openly and honestly i I don't really have a relationship with jesus how do you really know him how do you talk to him how do you hear from him how do you respond to him how does he respond to you i don't know him 
Listen, you want a shocking indictment of your relationship with God. That ought to be one big tell, if you will, of what's happening in your life. There are times where I understand it's difficult to discern God's will. I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm talking about a life that you know is devoid of a relationship with God. You don't know Him. You don't hear from Him, and you don't respond to Him. Man, if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, first you must know Him. But listen to what it says in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you see the incredible truth here? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen, a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who knows Christ and is known by Christ, who knows Christ's voice, and when they hear Him speak, they follow Him. They don't hear Christ speak and then say, well, Lord, I hear you speak, but I'm not going there. That's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's a rebel, a rebel against Jesus Christ. Listen, do you think honestly that it's your choice about who you're going to follow? Do you honestly believe God is so concerned with your great understanding that you can just tell God no and have a relationship with Him? Do you honestly think that the creator of all things, including you and me, is going to look at you in your smallness and your weakness, the one he sent his son to die for, and then let you tell him how you're going to live your life and still allow you to have a relationship with him? It's a ridiculous thought. And yet that's what we have brought about in our form of Christianity today, at least in America, is it not? God's not going to tell me what to do. God's not going to tell me how to live. God doesn't have the right to demand anything of me. God doesn't have the right to tell me how I'll have a relationship with Him. Yes, He does. He always has. He always will. And whether you like it or not, it won't change the fact that on Judgment Day, He will judge you you will not judge Him. Let me say that again. On Judgment Day, God will judge you. You will not judge God. And it's high time for us to get that right in our lives, to understand that He alone is judge and He alone is God. Or many within the so-called church in America today will end up in eternal judgment in hell there's no doubt about it there's no question about it it's got to change so what must we do to be saved to know jesus christ well it's pretty simple uh many of you probably know these things already first we we have to acknowledge the fact that we are sinful to the core sinful to the core romans three twenty three. for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god all we're all sinners Listen, no matter what injustice you're experiencing in your life, no matter what suffering you're experiencing in your life, no matter what tragedies, trials, hurts, needs, brokenness you are experiencing in your life, if you really want to be 
very blunt and very plain. None of us deserve any better. I'm not trying to be mean enough. I'm not trying to make light of your sufferings. But we're sinners. And we deserve nothing better from God than judgment, suffering, and pain. And we never have. Never. Matter of fact, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And that includes all the suffering and all the shame and all the trials. But Romans 6.23 also says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've got to accept the fact that God has been gracious to us. Above all else, He's been gracious to us. He did not have to send His Son to die for us. He did not have to give us hope beyond the trials and the sufferings and the judgments we experience. He did not have to promise that through those trials and sufferings, He would walk with us and be with us. He'd never leave us or forsake us. That whatever we went through, the flood or the fire, He would be with us. He didn't have to promise those things to us. He didn't have to do those things for us. He doesn't owe us anything. But Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Christianity, it's far more than your manipulating God. Far more than that. And it's far more than you doing a few good works to somehow try to appease God. Christianity, it's all about the greatest sacrifice that you've ever known and the greatest love you could ever experience. And that is God sending His Son to be the sacrifice for your sins, to take the punishment that you and I deserved, to set us free, to overcome sin, to overcome suffering, to overcome pain, to overcome wickedness, to overcome it, to have the ultimate victory of life everlasting. (coughs) John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. How do you become a disciple of Jesus Christ? You look at your life compared to the holiness of God and say, I have fallen short. Because of that, I'm, I'm lost and I'm already judged. But my Savior, Jesus, loves me. And He died for me. And so, Lord, I believe. And here's my life. Here's my life, Lord. I'm going to be your follower. I'm going to be your disciple. I'm going to go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do because... That's what salvation is all about. You see, here's the deal. There's a cost to discipleship. Turn turn over to Luke chapter 9 with me. Let's read some more scriptures. Luke chapter 9. We'll read verses 23 through 26. 
And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Somber words from our Lord. You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. That's a requirement of being a disciple. You've got to die to yourself, literally. Die to your desires of the world. Die to the desires of the flesh. Die to your own plan and to your own way. You've got to take up your cross. And they didn't pick up a cross unless they were going to die on it. And you've got to do it daily. You've got to give Jesus Christ reign and rule in your life. If that weren't enough, he says, what does it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his soul? I mean, we know the answer to that question, do we not? Why would we chase after all the things the world has to offer when it's going to cost us our soul, our eternal life? There's no profit in that. You must surrender to Jesus Christ. And then he says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you when I come. These are not cheap calls, are they? These are not cheap requirements. It's not easy to be a Christian because Christianity is about reigning and ruling. Christ reigns. He rules. You and I, we follow. Turn over to Luke chapter 14 as we talk more. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Again, it ought to be a shocking passage of Scripture to us. Three times he says, if you're not willing to have Christ first, if you're not willing to, the Scripture says, hate father or mother, husband, wife, brother or sister, you're not willing to make Christ first. By the way, Scripture doesn't teach you how to hate your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter. Uh, the Scriptures teach we ought to love them and discipline them and raise them up in the right way, right? Truth is, is that Jesus is making a very strong point here that there ought to be nothing more important in your life than Jesus Christ. And if there's not, or if there is something more important than Jesus Christ, His Word says, you cannot be my disciple. 
Is that clear? Cannot. Then he goes on, (coughs) whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. What is he saying? Is the word of God teaching us that we must not have a family? No. Is the word of God teaching us that Jesus expects us to physically die every day? No. Is the word of God teaching us that we shouldn't have a home? No. What he's teaching us is that there can't be any allegiance ahead of Jesus Christ if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now here's here's the scary part for me as a pastor, as just a man, is if if you had to look at many believers today, if you had to look at their lives, what they did, how they lived, what they pursued, what they found joy in, what they worshipped, if I had to look at many believers from the outside and then say, are they a disciple of Jesus Christ? There would be many that I wouldn't be able to say yes to that question. Is there any agreement with that this morning? Would there be many believers today or so-called Christians today that you could not place their lives next to that scripture that I just read and say they are disciples of Jesus? There would be many. Now that tells me one of two things. Either there are many who claim Christ who are lost, which is true without a doubt, or there are many who have been saved and yet never understood that salvation comes with a surrendered life to the utmost. Not part-time, not casual, not convenient, not based on our preferences and our desires, but based on Christ alone. And either that means many need to be saved, or that means many need to repent. Now, maybe that's no big deal to you today. I mean, honestly, maybe that's no big deal. I know without a shadow of a doubt that many people sit through church every week and sit through Bible study every week and hear the call of God in their life and they harden their hearts so much that they actually justified themselves by saying things like, God doesn't really want me to give up my life. God doesn't really want me to change my life. God wouldn't really want me to end up in Africa or India. God doesn't really want me to be poor. God doesn't really want that kind of sacrifice in my life. I'll be an apathetic, indifferent, unconcerned, uncommitted, ungiving person, and God will be just fine with that. No, He won't. I'm sorry. Scripture never teaches that to be true. Church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 tells us that kind of person is about to be spewed out of his mouth. Neither hot nor cold. Lukewarm. So, is there a blessing in here? I mean, is the call to discipleship a call to only suffering and no victory? 
The answer is no, not even by a long shot. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31 says, Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have le- say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Is there a cost to discipleship? Your life is the cost. Your life is what God demands. doesn't ask it. He demands it. Your life. But he says, if you give up your family for me, or you give up your home for me, or you give up the things of this world for me, you lack nothing. Because in Christ Jesus, even now, you have more. In Christ Jesus, you have more. You have more peace. You have a God that promises to always provide for your needs. It might be a smaller house. It might be a different location. But He has promised to always provide for your needs. And you can't promise that without Him. You can't do it. You have a God who promises you more fathers or mothers or sisters or brothers. And if you can't look around and see that, You haven't opened your eyes. We have a God that says, if you give your life to me, no matter what the sufferings may be, even promised more persecutions, by the way, didn't say we wouldn't have them, we would still have more life by far than if we shut him out of our lives. Is that scary in a fleshly level? It most certainly is. That demands a faith in God that goes deeper than what you can understand. It demands a faith in a good God. It demands a faith in a powerful God. It demands a faith in a loving God. It demands a faith in a saving God. If you're going to give up your life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you must come by faith. You must come by faith. That's the only way. You won't come any other way. And if you'll come by faith, blessings will be poured out in your life that cannot be described until you receive them. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you living for the Lord, surrendering your life to Him? Or are you playing a game A hopeless game. A helpless game. A game where you're risking your soul. If you are playing that game, repent. Turn away from it and turn to Jesus and be saved and become His disciple. You'll never regret it, not one day. Let's pray together. Father, I love You. I thank you for your word. Lord, the the subject that we're dealing with today 
is as important as anything we'll ever talk about as your church. There are people here this morning that are lost. They are not your disciples. And they do not have eternal life. And you've spoken to them, Lord. And you've called them to trust Jesus by faith. And to surrender their lives to him as his follower, as his disciple. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Draw them to Jesus even now. And Lord God, let them run quickly and joyously into his arms that he might save them. There are others, Lord, that they know that they are your disciple, but they have turned away, rebelled. And Lord, their lives are empty filled with the things of the world that cannot satisfy. Lord, would you bring them to repentance as well? Would you bring each one of us, Lord, to the place that whatever you ask and whatever you demand, we would happily surrender? Lord, I love you. Have your way, I pray, in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and respond to the Lord this morning.